Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8 o'clock, Friday, November 3rd. I'm Desiree Frazier. You're listening to Morning Edition on MPB Think Radio. I had in news at 8.04, two Mississippi men sentenced for their role in defrauding temper, timber investors out of tens of millions of dollars. The state seafood industry receiving millions due to the Bonnie Carey spillway disaster in 2019. They continually opened the Bonnie Carey multiple times on the Mississippi, and it has destroyed our shrimp and oyster business. Also, Steve Inskeep speaks with an Israeli author who has been reflecting on the October 11th attack by Hamas. He says claims to the land are at the center of that conflict. You're listening to Morning Edition on MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Windsor Johnston. The leader of the Lebanese militia, Hezbollah, is expected to speak today for the first time since Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th. As battles increase on Israel's northern border with Lebanon, the question is whether the Lebanese militia group will enter in full war with Israel. NPR's Ruth Sherlock has more. Hezbollah is allied with Hamas, and they're both backed by Iran. For Iran, whether Hezbollah fully enters the war is a strategic calculation. The group, with its thousands of missiles, is a key part of the country's deterrence strategy. Anyone who tries to go after Iran's nuclear program or tries to destabilize the regime knows they have to contend with Hezbollah in Lebanon. For now, Hezbollah has launched only limited attacks towards Israel from Lebanon. But it's an extremely precarious situation. Analysts say if Israel comes close to defeating Hamas, Iran may feel it can no longer let Hezbollah stand by. Hezbollah's full intervention would drag Lebanon into the conflict and likely inflame a regional war. Ruth Sherlock, NPR News. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has arrived in Israel as the country ramps up its offensive in Gaza. Speaking in Tel Aviv, Blinken reaffirmed U.S. support for Israel while stressing that civilians in Gaza must be protected. How Israel does this matters, and it is very important that when it comes to the protection of civilians who are caught in a crossfire of Hamas's making, that everything be done to uh, protect them and to bring assistance to those who so desperately need it. The Biden administration is pushing for temporary pauses in fighting in Gaza to allow for mediation and deliveries of humanitarian aid. President Biden will travel to Lewiston, Maine today in the wake of last week's deadly mass shootings. Maine Public Radio's Nicole Ogrisco reports Biden will pay his respects to the victims and their families and meet with first responders. The visit comes about a week after a mass shooting at a bar and a bowling alley in Lewiston killed 18 people and injured 13 others. For the U.S. as a whole, it was the deadliest mass shooting so far this year. Biden has once again called on Congress to ban assault weapons. The carnage of that night has changed the conversation in Maine, though members of the state's congressional delegation remain split on a possible ban. For NPR News, I'm Nicola Grisco in Portland, Maine. U.S. employers added 150,000 new jobs in the month of October, slightly below what economists had expected. The Labor Department says the nation's unemployment rate changed little at 3.9 percent. The latest figures indicate a decent pace of job growth in the U.S. 
This is NPR. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Pew Charitable Trusts, sharing how communities are restoring trust and solving problems on the After the Fact podcast. Available at pewtrusts.org slash after the fact. This is NPR. Good morning. It's 8.04, Friday, November 3rd. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is MPB News. More than $6 million in relief funds are set to be dispersed to seafood industry businesses along Mississippi's Gulf Coast. MPB's Michael McEwen reports the funds are in response to the negative environmental effects caused by opening the Bonnie Carey Spillway in 2019. In no uncertain terms, the opening of the spillway was a disaster for the Mississippi Sound. The introduction of fresh, muddy water from the Mississippi River into the Sound was to such a degree that the estuary's salinity levels dropped to zero throughout. Typically made up of brackish water, that intrusion had profound effects on the ecosystem and the industries that depend on it. Well, the impact was devastating on oysters and shrimp. That's horrific. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman says the decision to open the spillway, made unilaterally by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, was arbitrary in nature. It's even more horrific in the fact that they did not open the Morganza, which would have let muddy water out the other side. Morganzas very rarely have ever been opened. They continually opened the Bonnie Carey multiple times on the Mississippi, and it has destroyed our shrimp and oyster business. Mississippi Department of Marine Resources Executive Director Joe Spragans says that decision also effectively made 2018 the last oyster season to occur in the state. He worries how those low populations can impact the ecosystem's ability to bounce back in the long term. Full-grown oyster will filter between 50 and 60 gallons of water a day. That's a lot of filter of the water, and it also helps with the clarity of the water and what happens. Plus, everything in the world feeds off of them. The oyster larvae and then the oyster spat when it gets on a shell. The fish feed off of it. The shrimp and crabs feed off of it. Everything basically feeds off of it, and so does the estuary. Relief funds are set to be dispersed under a multi-tier structure administered by MDMR. Michael McEwen, MPB News. Two Jackson men, a former lawyer and a former lobbyist, are sentenced for defrauding people out of $85 million through a fake timber investment scheme. A federal judge gave 51-year-old former attorney John Darrell Seawright one year and one day in prison. 58-year-old former lobbyist Ted Brent Alexander sentenced to five years probation with two years of home arrest under electronic monitoring. The men admitted from 2011 to 2018 they promised timber investors a return of 10% or more over 12 to 13 months. The money was taken under false pretenses and never used for what they stated. Both must pay $977,000 in restitution. The businessman who devised the scheme was sentenced to 20 years in prison in 2018. In today's forecast, sunny, highs north, upper 80s, central and south in the 70s. You're listening to Morning Edition on MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep in Jerusalem. And I'm Martinez in Culver City, California. In the weeks of war between Israel and Hamas, many colleges and universities have hosted both civil and uncivil discourse. There are peaceful protests and vigils and also threats of violence against Jewish students and members of Palestinian student groups. So how can college officials manage both free speech and student safety? Ebony Pringle is the senior vice president for student life at Kent State University. It's the same school where in 1970, four unarmed students were killed by National Guardsmen during protests during the Vietnam War. Professor Pringle, there have been three events on your campus uh, so far, a protest for Palestine on the K, Hillel with a vigil, and the student government meeting with leaders of both. Uh, how did those three go? Yeah, thank you, and thank you for having me this morning. You know, our institutional core values have guided all of our actions here at Kent State, and, and as you mentioned, Kent State has a long history of activism And all forms of activism at Kent State have led to sustained and transformational change, uh, such as the formation of our Department of Africana Studies due to the activism of Black United students and our Department of Peace and Conflict Studies. Uh, Civil discourse and activism is in the Kent State DNA. It's at the core of who we are. 
Um, so our students and the events that you mentioned have been continuing that tradition, engaging in civil discourse, while also demonstrating respect and kindness and purpose. And it has resulted in peaceful dialogue. And I have to say, I've been extremely proud of our community during this very, very difficult time. Our students have expressed concerns. They've demonstrated their, their freedom of expression and at the same time have respected their, their fellow students and the community members who may have a different opinion. So it's been challenging to hear the stories, but at the same time, it's been very positive to see how our community has responded. Sometimes free speech becomes passionate. It becomes angry and loud. How difficult is it, Professor, for a university to get a feel for when it could also maybe threaten public safety? Yeah, great question. You know, our president welcomed 4,000 new students to campus, highlighting the tension between these core values and, and what you just talked about. Um, you're right. There is this tension that can be created when we hear from others things that we don't necessarily agree with. Uh, but he played the song uh, uh, by Farrell Sanders, The Creator Has a Master Plan. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's a piece of the song where the dissonance can feel a bit unsettling, hmm. but it perfectly illustrates the tension between these core values. And what we have been uh, talking to our students about for a number of years under President Dykin's leadership is really this tension is necessary for all of us to be able to grow and develop and learn from each other. Well, what would be the threshold then for the university to maybe have to escalate a response uh, if if something were to get uh, dicey? Well, as we've talked about, you know, what we've seen on our campus is that students are working together and they're espousing our core values. If we were to see any um, acts of aggression, we have our public safety team here at all times and they work closely with us to support our students' safe demonstration of core values. We haven't seen that on our campus. What we have seen are our students peacefully engaging in dialogue and expressing their views. And they've been respectful to each other. They've shared their thoughts and they've worked together to try and make sure our community understands the difficulties. Have you heard any student concerns? Absolutely. I mean, there's obviously a national dialogue around safety and our students are noticing and hearing across campuses that, you know, there are, have been incidents of violence. So they have expressed concerns. And what we've done is worked with our public safety team to ensure our students that they are okay. safe and we can do the best that we can in working with them to make sure of that. Ebony Pringle is the Interim Senior Vice President for Student Life at Kent State University. Thank you very much. Thank you. Much of the news this week is focused on Israel's attack in Gaza and civilians' desperate efforts to get out. The Israeli writer Yossi Klein Halavi is still thinking of the attack by Hamas on the war's first day. You know, the world has moved on, right? October 7th, all right, get over it. Get over it, Jews. I'm still processing what happened on October 7th. I still can't believe that a thousand Jews were dismembered and burned alive within the state of Israel. In fact, Israel says attackers killed some 1,400 people. Halaby talked about this in his home office here in Jerusalem. The back wall of his apartment is glass, and when we arrived, we could just see the landscape in the last of the light. We're looking at a rocky valley with very little in it, and then on the other side is Palestinian villages. two Palestinian villages, and you've got the separation barrier between this neighborhood, French Hill, and the next hill. That's the beginning of the West Bank. And where we valley. are now is Jerusalem. Is Jerusalem. Um, this is the, literally the last row of houses in Jerusalem. We were in a part of Jerusalem that Israel captured in a 1967 war and later annexed, though other nations have never recognized that change. Halavi once wrote a book called Letters to My Palestinian Neighbor. He literally has some. Palestinians live in the apartment next door and upstairs. He says they all get along, mostly by avoiding conversations about the news. I've been working in, on coexistence issues for many years, and so it's very moving for me to actually be, be living day to day in that kind of 
environment and to see that it's possible. I wonder, though, if that gets at a challenge, though. There's the matter of day-to-day cooperation, which it sounds like you're working on and doing okay. But then there is the fundamental question of... Of the conflict. That takes us back to the, how did we get to this moment? That's one essential question. And the other essential question is, how do we get out of this? In considering both questions, Halavi thinks about narratives, the Palestinian story and the Jewish one. He believes in the story of Jews returning to their ancient homeland, and he moved here himself from Brooklyn, where he had grown up in a family of Holocaust survivors. Halavi also believes in the Palestinian story of people in their native land. The Palestinian story is powerful. They were here. And it's true that Palestinian national identity uh, emerged in the last century, but every people has its own trajectory of when of how it defines itself. And yes, it's true that the Jews came here, but there's one word that's left out. We came back. The writer still believes in a two-state solution, an independent homeland for Palestinians. He's a vocal critic of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who does not. Halavi spent much of this year protesting the right-wing government's plan to weaken the judiciary. Yet he supports the government's determination to destroy Hamas now. Look, it's true. Hamas is not an ideology. It's a theology. It's a theology of extermination. We cannot live with a genocidal regime on our borders. As you know very well, a lot of people on the other side of this argument are using the word genocide. Yes. To talk about Israeli attacks in Gaza, which Israel says are targeted at Hamas. But as Israel acknowledges, civilians are in the way. And Palestinian authorities have marked thousands of civilian deaths, hundreds of thousands of people relocated. Yes. What is the moral calculation there as you see it? First of all, there is no moral calculus in terms of numbers and suffering. And the suffering that we are inflicting on Gaza is a historic tragedy. The question is, is it a crime? It would be a crime if it was deliberate. The difference between intentional murder and unintentional murder in war is the difference between war as tragedy and war as barbarism. Critics of Israel will, of course, say, you know, if you drop a bomb on a refugee camp, you intended to get somebody in a tunnel underneath who's a Hamas leader, but you knew there was an apartment building in the way. Does that count as an intentional killing? What should Israel do? We've told the civilians, leave. Should we allow Hamas to hide behind its human shields? Hamas can cross the border, massacre us, and then go back because the international community is going to protect them and their civilian shields are going to protect them. There is no good way to fight this war. If we are going to have any future, if the Jewish people around the world is going to trust Israel as a safe refuge— we need to reestablish our ability to deal with genocidal enemies. And so anyone telling me right now, you have to understand civilian casualties, and my response is, I'm heartbroken, and I understand that I'm inf- I am inflicting terrible misery, and I take responsibility for that, and I believe we have no choice but to continue pushing on until we destroy the Hamas regime. You put that in the first person. I am inflicting. Yes, of course. Of course. Look, Israel, this is a very intimate society. When we speak about Israel, there's no emotional distance. There's also no practical distance. What happens politically happens personally. Also, it's a democratic society. It's, it's, I'm responsible for what happens here. You know, the essence of Zionism was to make Jews responsible for their fate. So that Jewish history wasn't just what others do to us, but what we do to ourselves, for ourselves, for good and for bad. We're going to reassume power, our ability to defend ourselves, and we'll take the moral consequences. Power always has moral consequences. Yossi Klein-Halavi is a writer and a senior fellow at the Shalom Hartman Institute. He spoke with us at his home on the far eastern edge of Jerusalem. 
We are hosting Morning Edition from different cities around the Mideast this week to get different perspectives on the conflict here. And you can find more coverage and differing views at npr.org slash Updates. This is NPR News. And this is MPB Think Radio. Good morning, I'm Kevin Farrell. With mere hours to go in the on-air portion of our fall on-air fundraising campaign, we're looking for help from our friends in the community who haven't done their part on this final day. We get it that budgets are tight right now, so we're asking you to make your contribution in any amount, whatever you can afford. It really does make a difference, trust me. Joined this morning by Liz Gill. Thanks, Kevin. On this final day of the on-air portion of the fall campaign, we want to say thanks if you've already done your part for MPB through the mail, online, or by phone. We'll put that money to work to bring you insights from local hosts who live in the community and local reports from seasoned journalists. So here's an update. The on-air portion of this campaign is not yet complete. There's a steep hill to climb, so we're asking you to please step in with a contribution to help us get there in the final hours of the drive. Oh, and don't forget, you'll be entered to win that Apple iPad. It's the final drawing of the campaign. Just call or text the word GIVE to our number, 888-372-GIVE. Or you can donate online at mpbonline.org. As we mentioned, this is the final day of the fall on-air campaign. So if we haven't heard from you yet, now is your opportunity to go ahead and give us a call. We're asking you to support journalism that not only enhances your life, but makes it accessible to your neighbors and friends. Help MPB investigate issues and ask decision makers the hard questions. Our reporters provide context, and they provide viewpoints from diverse voices. We build a better civil society when everyone has access to rigorous journalism and well-informed discussion. So give us a call and make your contribution. It's 888 888- Three seven two four four eight three, or you can take three minutes to do your part online at mpbonline.org on this final day of our fall drive. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the NPR Wine Club, where members can explore wines from around the world and every purchase supports NPR's high-quality journalism. Available to adults 21 or older. nprwineclub.org From EBSCO, offering clinical decision support resources and tools, including disease and condition content from Dynamed and drug information from Meritive. Learn more at dynamedx.com. From Focus Features, presenting The Holdovers, Paul Giamatti reunites with director Alexander Payne for the first time since Sideways in select theaters today, everywhere November 10th. And from ECMC Foundation, at ecmcfoundation.org. Good morning. This is MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening. I'm Kevin Farrell. On this final day of the fall on-air fundraising campaign, we're really hoping that you'll rally one last time for the station you rely on. If you value having a source of NPR and local programs in your life, your participation is so welcome at this crucial moment in the campaign because this is the final day of our fall drive. Here's Liz Gill with more. Thanks, Kevin. Through the valiant efforts of people in this community, the MPB Fall fundraising campaign is about to break the tape. We can see the finish line from here, and you're standing there to cheer us on with the pledge. There's so much more to do, and you can be the real hero today by taking three minutes and getting involved. All it takes is a contribution of $50, $100, or $1,000 or more. That's how a successful campaign happens. So stay with us. We'll let you know how we're doing. I can tell you one thing. The faster you can help out, the better we'll look crossing that finish line. Call or text the word GIVE to our number, 888-372-GIVE. Or follow the Donate Now link from mpbonline.org. You know, when it comes to news and culture, you can scroll through your smartphone apps to see a lot of the same old, same old. Well, that's fine, but that's not why you come to MPB. You know that whenever time of day it is that you visit us, you're going to get stories that are out of the ordinary. You're going to hear discussions that nobody else is offering told by locals for locals. MPB is listener-driven, listener-supported radio. When you give during this campaign, you show the world that the same old, same old isn't good enough for you. Now is the time to do something. Now is the time to make a real difference because today is the final day of our fall campaign. 
consider a contribution of $120 to MPB Think Radio right now. It's an investment in programs that bring insight every time you listen. We're investing in a local set of programs that cover topics like gardening, pets and wildlife, money, legal issues, and we live here too. So we want to explore people and places with you. You can also feel proud that your contribution will help MPB's education team serve the children of Mississippi from pre-K through 12 with award-winning approaches. So, and um, Kevin Zian, the host of Money Talks, and we talk about budgets often, $120 is just $0.33 cents a day or $10 a month. Make that investment when you call 888 888- Three seven two four four eight three, or visit us online at mpbonline.org. You know, we come on the air to ask you to make a contribution in any amount to support everything you hear on MPB Think Radio and everything you see on MPB television. We're going to automatically enter you into the final drawing of our fall campaign, and we've been saving it because it's a good one, a brand new Apple iPad mini. Uh, when we've given these away in past campaigns, they tend to be extremely popular, and who doesn't want an iPad? You can use that one to watch MPB television or listen to MPB Think Radio or our podcasts. But, of course, you can't win if you don't enter. I hope you'll get involved right now with a gift that you can afford in any amount. Call or text GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 888-372-4483 or contribute online at mpbonline.org. Supporting the station at mpbonline.org is quick and easy. We hope that you'll consider leaving a comment. This is my favorite thing. Robert from Ridgeland made a gift to MPB and said, I enjoy the programming, and it's a break from the world of bad news. Galia from Biloxi gave to MPB and said, I really appreciate the service. Call us at 888 372-4483 or give online at mpbonline.org and please let us know how MPB Think Radio enhances your life. You know, you may have heard of the term NIMBY, not in my backyard. We hear that word a lot when individuals try to fight special interests. When it comes to topics and places that MPB covers, we listen to you when you tell us YIMBY, yes, in my backyard. (laughs) So MPB invests resources to cover stories from all over the state for, for our morning news magazine, Mississippi Edition. When you support MPB Think Radio, you support reporting and analysis that hits home. This is your Yimby moment. Say yes to investing in coverage that brings you news from your own backyard. Let's get back to budgeting. There is so much to love about being an MPB sustainer. It is easy. All you need is the credit card to get started. It is budget friendly. You can give whatever works best for you. Five, ten, twenty dollars a month and it automatically renews. It's an ongoing monthly gift. Your contribution means your membership is always current, and MPB can deliver vital educational programs and great local programs on MPB Think Radio through a steady stream of support. How do you make the switch? Just call or text the word GIVE to our number, 888-372-4483, or become a sustainer at mpbonline.org. You know, finding the right place to make the most impact in a community can require a lot of research. But you already turn to MPB several times a week, maybe every day, and that's all the research you really need. Donors help maintain MPB as a free community resource for everyone to listen to. It's a matter of personal means. Maybe you can give $2,500 or more to MPB. Whatever the amount that you can afford will turn your gift into effective public service statewide. Think about it, then give us a call on this final day of our fall drive, 888 372-4483. Contribute online at mpbonline.org, but do it now because this is the final day of our fall drive. Hi, I'm Jonathan Huber. I'm the Morning Edition host here at KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. I'm Desiree Frazier, and I'm with Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Ashley Sterner at Your Public Radio in Baltimore. I've been Morning Edition host for 18 years. Well, I'm up at 2.20. Roll out of bed, bike to work, and I'm live at 4.59 a.m. My favorite part of the job is never knowing what's coming next. Somebody has to communicate what's going on in the community. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that people never see. 
Being part of the NPR network makes me feel like part of a team that is serving my community and serving every community around the country. We know what's going on and we tell the truth. You can support local journalism across the NPR network by donating to this station today. Here's how to give. And thanks. Make your contribution online at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Smarter, better healthcare. More at bcbsms.com. Ridge of high pressure will be the dominating feature here over the next couple of days. In fact, we won't see even a week to storm it's moving through until the middle of next week. South Haven, lots of sunshine. Our high temperatures today right around 65. I think later tonight we'll end up with a clear sky overnight. Lows will drop down into the lower 40s. Jackson will see a little patchy frost early, then sunshine or high low 70s. Tonight, a mainly clear sky will prevail overnight. Lows will drop down into the lower 40s. And in Biloxi, plenty of sunshine today or high this afternoon. Right around 75 tonight, clear to partly cloudy and upper 40s. I'm meteorologist Sally Russell. This is Think Radio. Good morning. It's 8.30 on November 3rd. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, candidates for Mississippi governor debated many topics Wednesday night. But voters say they want to hear about plans to restore the state's ballot initiative process. Then a federal appeals court is weighing whether a proposed military storage site underwent proper scrutiny before being issued a permit. Plus, folks are being reminded to set the clocks back an hour this Sunday and test smoke detectors to make sure they're working. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Tuesday will mark the third general election where ballot initiatives aren't possible in the state. For the last two years, both chambers of the Mississippi legislature have allowed bills that would have restored the ballot initiative process die without taking a vote. Our Will Stribbling speaks with Spence Flatgard, chairman of the nonprofit Ballot Access Mississippi. He's hopeful state lawmakers can pass a new initiative process during the 2024 legislative session to give voters back their rights as Mississippians. Voters uh, passed this constitutional right, you know, with 70 percent of the vote back in 1992, and they've enjoyed that right for 30 years and um, need to restore it. I think Mississippians are open. They want to have their constitutional right restored. It's in the Constitution now. They, they've got the right to amend their Constitution. So I think it's not a question of whether to do that. It's already in the Constitution. It could be easily fixed with the the change to recognize there aren't five congressional districts. There are just four in terms of signature gathering. So that's easy. And I think people are open to other ballot access avenues like uh, including statutory law changes. There are some things that probably do need to be statutes and not in our Constitution. So I think that's, I think it's a great idea. Um, the only thing in terms of details right now I'd, I would caution against would be having a signature number that's too high so that it's, a law that's on paper but not really practical, I think. Going too high with the signatures doesn't doesn't make it feasible for Mississippians. And as far as other details, I'm glad to have a vibrant discussion and work that out, which is another reason it should be part of the media's questions during the campaign to bring this up with policymakers on what their uh, feelings are so that we can um, kind of work this out during the campaign season, which is how it's supposed to be, and then they can hit the ground running in January. Can you tell me a bit about conversations that your group has had had with lawmakers, how you feel about the chances of this being substantively debated during the 2024 session? Yes. The vast majority of lawmakers are supportive of restoring this constitutional right and giving voters ballot access again. It just hasn't been an urgent priority, and we need to bump it up on the priority list. And uh, if we can do that this election season, I think voters will see something in January coming out of the legislature. And do you think that lawmakers should be able to completely block off uh, certain hot-button issues from being able to be taken up by the ballot initiative process? I think the most important thing is to restore the constitutional right and give voters ballot access. I'll leave it to the legislature to decide if there are certain issues or certain details 
that they want to uh, address in that legislation. Our uh, ballot access Mississippi, our focus is just to restore the right and and then bring it to the forefront of the attention of the the candidates and the legislators. Spence Flatgard is with the nonprofit Ballot Access Mississippi. Coming up, a federal appeals court is currently weighing whether a proposed military storage site underwent proper scrutiny before being issued a permit. Thank you for listening to Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. We're on the final day of our fall drive time. It's an opportunity to support your community through a gift to this not-for-profit radio station. Liz Gill and Mike Guidry are here to tell you why your contribution is so crucial. Thank you, Desiree, and thank you for listening to MPB Think Radio on this last day of our fall fundraising campaign. Like she said, I'm Michael Guidry, and if MPB is a part of your life on a weekly basis, now is the time to support something that's important to you and to your neighbors. Stand up for a free service that changes the lives of Mississippians one person at a time, from babies to seniors. And here's Liz Gill to tell you more. Thanks, Michael. Call by call, donation by donation. You make a home where award-winning journalism is allowed to flourish, where educational television programs can remain accessible to children from all walks of life. If your life and the lives of people you love are better because of MPB, take a few minutes to show your support. The crucial thing is to help out now because every donation is helping us get closer to the finishing of this drive successfully. Time is truly running out, and if you don't want to miss being entered to win an Apple iPad, the final prize of our campaign. Visit mpbonline.org or make a donation right now at 888-372-4483. You can also text the word GIVE to that number, 888-372-GIVE. Mississippi recently became the 37th state to legalize medical marijuana. Well, on Mississippi Edition, we reported that patients will be able to buy up to three and a half grams of cannabis products a day, up to six times a week. We've reported about 100 dispensaries have been licensed and are now up and running. We've been able to follow this story all the way since the 2020 ballot initiative because you and your neighbors have supported MPB and Mississippi Edition. So please support all of that for the love of Mississippi. There are people listening to this podcast who donate to hospitals to save lives. They give to universities to fund scholarships and athletic programs, and they wouldn't think twice about helping out a family or friend in need. You may know one of those people. You may be one of these people. If so, we'd like to get to know you. Call now with your gift of $1,000 or more, and we'll use that money to improve the lives of thousands of people, young and old from all walks of life. Please act now for the love of Mississippi. Can't give $1,000 or more, but you wish you could. We're grateful to every one of our donors. Call 888-372-4483 or visit mpbonline.org. MPB helps you explore topics beyond the 24-hour news cycle, and your contribution has helped us create daily programs like and podcasts like Autocorrect, Deep South Dining, and Legal Terms, Fix It 101. If you give today for the love of Mississippi, we can continue that. A contribution of 1000 2000 or more. Keep this source of information in people's lives. 888-372-GIVE, 888-372-4483. Thank you. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Residents of several majority black communities in North Gulfport traveled to Jackson this week. They're against a proposed military storage site they say hasn't received proper scrutiny. Litigants and the lawyers from the ACLU and Earth Justice gathered at the Smith-Robertson Museum ahead of a federal hearing on Wednesday. John Johnson, a veteran who has spent more than 50 years living in North Gulfport, Gulfport, that is, is one of the first residents named in the original lawsuit. He tells our Mike McEwen that vital information, such as whether explosive materials will be stored at the site, was never made clear. After Hurricane Katrina, it's, it destroyed some uh, property on the, on the port and it washed up containers on the, uh, in the community. Port of Gulfport decided to create a north port and they put it in our underserved minority community. And we're opposed to that. 
they want to bring in heavy mili military equipment and store it there for transportation, transporting it to other places. Because that site is contaminated, they have lead, arsenic, and probably some radiation in the ground there. And the vibration from those heavy equipment will cause uh, the migration of the chemicals to run, get into Turkey Creek and other streams of water. And it's, it's adverse to our community. And we certainly don't want that to happen. And that's why we are opposing, appealing this decision uh, that the Port of Gulf Port MDEQ has approved. Uh, we, we don't want it in our community, and we are prepared to take it further in the fight if they are approved today. Has anyone from MDEQ or the Department of Defense or any government officials, maybe city or state, come through your community and talk to residents? about the military storage project and some of the risks? Uh, no, there has not been any, anyone from the, from the MDEQ talked about our, the risk there. All MDEQ did was approve what their board did. And, and that's because of the, uh, the ordinance that they have, their board approved. They approve exactly what MDEQ uh, asked for, you know, and so MDEQ is, is with the community, more or less with, with the business that's going to flood our community. And we don't want that to happen. Uh, M MDQ hasn't been favorable to our community for making the decision. And uh, we, don't, we don't want that to happen. Hopefully that they will have a change of heart today at the appeal court and that they consider the people that are living in this underserved community and make decisions that will uh, be pleasing with the residents of the community. Are you planning on speaking at the court today? Is there like a time period for community members to speak? If I get an opportunity, I certainly will, and uh, we'll, we'll like address the, our community concerns because uh, it's important for the, our community to remain resilient, and uh, we want to uh, improve the quality of the life in our community. We don't want to uh, have storing all this heavy equipment and causing chemicals in the ground to migrate, cause more flooding. And, uh, and, and, and if our people have to move out of the community, they can't purchase another home for the cost that, that, at, at another location. They, their homes, they're already, most already paid for. And uh, they, they, won't, they won't give them the sufficient funds to purchase another home because most people don't want to leave their home. That's the only place that they live. They grew up there. They raised the children there, and so it's, it's a place that uh, we really want to stay there. What do you think the court, they'll feel after hearing the community's testimony and the attorneys? What are you expecting, if anything? Well, I'm going to be uh, proactive about this. I'm, I'm expecting them to make a decision in favor of the community. That's what I would hope they would do. Now, reality, that may not happen, but I'm hoping that after all the community people speak about the in, in, in opposition to this project, that uh, they would be they reconsider and make a decision favorable for the community. How many of y'all are up here today? How many of y'all are up here today? Uh, it's about uh, 50 or so, I have a thank to us as a collective group here. And uh, that's a pretty good representative for the community that's uh, wherever we live. And hopefully, they will consider the people that, that really care about their community and make a decision favorable to it. That was John Johnson, a resident from North Gulfport, calling on MDEQ to deny a project that would allow dangerous materials to be stored in the area. The court stated it will rule on the case in due course. Coming up, clocks are being rolled back one hour this Sunday, and state officials are reminding folks to test their smoke detectors. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Please think about why you chose MPB as your station for news and thoughtful discussion this morning, and then support everything you love about MPB by contributing what you think is fair. Do that by calling 888 372-4483 or given just three minutes online at mpbonline.org. I'm in the studio with Michael Guidry and Liz Gill. They have more information on how you can become a member. 
Thank you, Desiree. This is MPB Think Radio, and I am Michael Guidry. And from all of us, thank you for stepping up to show your support. The drive isn't quite over yet, and it's so important that we hear from you if you have not yet protected what you love here on MPB. A contribution of $50, $75, or $100 will help in a big way. We're getting there one pledge at a time because people are deciding to do something great for the community they love. And here's Liz Gill to let you know how you can take action. Thanks, Michael. Please pitch in your support as we approach the final hours of the fall campaign. MPB Think Radio set today as the last day of the campaign, but the success of the drive is up to you. Here's the thing. We're still running well behind our overall goal, which means your participation is and is critical. A contribution in any amount will make a difference. The most reliable source of funding for this 24-hour-a-day service comes in your form of a contribution. Five, ten, twenty dollars a month. This is going to be a success. We know that MPB listeners will rally for their public public radio stations today. Call or text the word "give" to eight 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 three seven two. 4483 or follow the donate now link at mpbonline.org and don't forget when you do so you'll be entered to win an apple ipad mm. the better informed you are the easier it is it is to make a sound decision about the issues that's why we do what we do provide reporting and analysis that strives to make you smarter about the issues every time you tune in it's supported by the people who listen to it and know in their hearts that it's their responsibility to do so. When you give to MPB, you support the practice of thorough journalism by our reporters and the expertise of hosts on MPB's midday shows. Support excellent reporting and conversation with a monthly sustaining contribution right now. MPB Think Radio is one of the few stations in America that devotes a great deal of time during 9 to 12 exploring important topics with hosts who are from here in our communities, from health care to home repair, from money management to gardening, with legal issues and fun places to visit. All of that local programming, some of which, which we hear on the weekends, is expensive to produce, but so worth it. If you agree and you want us to keep doing more of it, please make a gift in any amount to support this one-of-a-kind, not-for-profit public service. It only takes a few minutes to support what you love at mpbonline.org. This show, Mississippi Edition, has explored a number of stories, including the aftermath of the Supreme Court decision on Dobbs and the overturning of Roe. This is a story MPB can continue to follow because of you and your neighbors. Please uh, support us by texting GIVE to 888-372-4483 or call 888-372-GIVE. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Sunday is daylight savings time, and when folks roll their clocks back an hour, they're also being reminded to replace their smoke detector batteries. It's recommended that fire alarms be checked twice a year for working batteries and functional electronics. They should also be replaced every 10 years. Our Kobe Vance speaks with State Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney about why it's so important to make checking smoke detectors on a regular basis. In 2022, we had 71 fire deaths, and 34 of those deaths, uh, there were no working smoke alarms in the home that we could detect, and that's ones that didn't burn up. So we had other homes that had smoke alarms, and the batteries could have been dead on them, but we can't make a, an analysis of whether they were working or not working. So what we say is this. If you have a working smoke alarm, your chances of surviving a house fire or a home fire are 90% better. Where does a smoke alarm come into play in detecting a fire? As in, for people, when they visualize the, the situation of being in a fire, they, it seems like it'd be pretty obvious that the house is in danger and you're at risk. How does a fire alarm intervene in that? Well, a smoke alarm is an early detector. If you think about people that are in a the kitchen, they're cooking, and you have a lot of smoke in the kitchen, the smoke alarm will often go off and people remove their batteries, but that's what makes them work. They are early detectors of smoke in a house or sizzling fire. So it wakes you up, you get out of the house, you save your life, you may save your children or your spouse's life, you may save your animals, but you get out and you stay out. Now, if you don't have a smoking alarm that works, what happens is if you have a fire or just a lot of smoke and you breathe two breaths of smoke, you're going to die because smoke's heavier than air, and you suffocate. 
So it's real simple. You just get a smoke alarm. That's how they work. Where should people be placing these smoke alarms if they are purchasing them to either replace ones that were broken or just to get them for the first time if they haven't had them already? Well, we tell them they always put one in a kitchen. You should have one uh, in the hallway if you have if you're limited in resources. Make sure you have one where the bedrooms can wake you up. Uh, if you can, you should put at least one in every bedroom in the home, including the kitchen and a great room if you have one. So you, re- you should replace all your smoke alarms every 10 years. You replace your batteries every six months at daylight savings time change in the spring and again in the fall. What should people be looking for if they are buying a new smoke alarm? Are there any features that you think help people more than others? Carbon monoxide is a deadly silent killer. And uh, new smoke detectors can detect carbon monoxide and prevent you from dying. Uh, The flashing type, uh, we've got uh, smoke alarms that not only sound, but they flash when they go off. Uh, That's what I have in my own home. But not only do they beep and go off with loud, shrill, but they also flash. So you know if if you're hard of hearing, you know there's something wrong when that flashing starts in your house. It's like seeing a, a highway patrolman or a police car with blue lights. It makes you aware that there's a problem. I believe there are some fire departments throughout the state that do offer free fire alarms for people in their communities if they can't are unable to afford one. Well, there are fire, volunteer fire departments and um, commercial and municipal fire departments that offer free smoke alarms. Uh, we got a grant for 50,000 new smoke alarms in the state for this year. and We already put them out at the volunteer departments, especially in the rural areas of the state. And if people want a smoke alarm, all they have to do is call their volunteer department. And we're making that known through visits to social clubs, uh, to uh, civics and uh, events and church events and other events within communities. You also have previously served as the state fire marshal. What were your what did you hear about fires that makes you so outspoken about making sure people are prepared uh, to this day? Well, half of our Firedales usually are elderly folks, one. And number two, the second thing is you have children involved sometimes. And we teach. We've got an active role that's been cut back because of legislative funding, but where we would go into schools and teach children about what to do if they had a fire in their home, to get out, stay out, meet by the mailbox, the old tree in the yard. Uh, Don't try to go back in once you're out. Stop, drop, and roll if you catch on fire. The little things that you teach children, especially those under six or seven years of age, to do if they catch on fire. Our goal is to save lives and prevent fire deaths in the state. On the other side, with smoke alarms, we can cut down on the amount of arson that goes on in the state. And let me tell you, if I catch somebody doing arson, they're going to jail if we catch them. Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney, thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure. Thank you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Our executive producer is Kobe Vance. Join us Monday morning at 830 for the next edition of Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Our fall on-air fundraising campaign is underway. We're asking you to give what you think is fair. It's important that we hear from you while we have a few moments here with you and you have a little spare time. In the studio with me are Liz Gill and Michael Guidry. They can tell you more how to become a member, more about how to become a member. Thank you, Desiree. It is the final day of our on-air campaign. Have you had a chance to take part? Of course, you can respond to the mail we sent recently, but you could... Just take care of that with uh, by uh, take care of your contribution now by going online to mbbonline.org or texting the word give to 888-372-4483. Whether it's $100, $200, or even as a sustainer at $10 or $20 a month, your donation is going to help us as we see the checkered flag in the distance. And here's Liz Gill with ways you can help. MPB's fall campaign was only five days with fundraiser-free weekends, which means we needed to raise more each day of the campaign. Here on the final day of the fall on-air portion of our campaign, listeners from near and far are helping MPB play catch-up. You still have time in the final hours of the on-air campaign. This only works when we have participation from people who cherish having MPB Think Radio in their lives. You have your own reasons for giving. The important thing is to do your part now. Call 
372-4483 or make your gift online at mpbonline.org. You've been listening to Mississippi Edition, where we recently reported on Jackson residents who were affected by the failing sewage system. A group of residents have formed a committee that is consulting an attorney and discussing the damage done, not just to their property values, but to their quality of life. We're able to cover this type of ongoing story because you and your neighbors have supported MPB and Mississippi Edition. Please continue to support all of that for the love of Mississippi. Now, we're not saying you're going to make your contribution to support MPB just to get a pair of socks or a sweatshirt or a hat or a scarf. But if you do support MPB, we will give you a pair of socks with a $5 contribution. The socks have the new logo, one size fits all. You get the socks when you give $60 or $5 a month as an MPB sustainer. Or pick your thank you gift when you give online at mpbonline.org. Show your support for the station that brings you Marshall Ramsey, Coach Charlie Melton, Camille King, Jermaine Flood. Just call or text the word GIVE to our number, 888-372-4483. That's 888-372-GIVE. Or in three minutes, you can donate at mpbonline.org. Thank you for your support. We need you today, a last day of our drive, mpbonline.org. Where, oh, where have all the EV buyers gone? From American Public Media, this is Marketplace Tech. I'm Lily Jamali. The competition to buy an electric vehicle last year was fierce, leaving consumers sometimes paying premium prices to drive one off the lot. But the red-hot market for electric vehicles isn't quite so red-hot anymore. That's despite federal tax credits aimed at making EVs more affordable. Automakers are scaling back on both production and prices. In just the last few weeks, Tesla, the leader in EVs, slashed its prices again. And Ford cut production of the F-150 Lightning electric pickup and is postponing billions in spending. We asked Joanna Stern, senior personal tech columnist at the Wall Street Journal, for her take on what's driving the EV slump. I think it's a combination of two things. One is that we're moving now in the EV market from the early adopters to the mainstream. In fact, This year was the year I started covering EVs because I felt like it's starting to move from the people who are just super into the the new way of driving and the new way of putting computers on wheels to everyone possibly thinking about getting an EV. And so I think that's one of the things that's happening here, right? The the pent-up demand. We had a lot of early adopters buying, and now it's, okay, where's the mass market? And then there's also the combination of that companies started making more of these cars, right? Mm -hmm. Ford, GM. Tesla, all of these companies started making many more EVs. And so some of them are now sitting on lots because that demand isn't there. And you've been spending a lot of time looking into the charging infrastructure. Tell me about what that experience has been like for you. Yeah, I'm, I bought my first EV. I did a big piece on narrowing down the choices of which one I would buy. So I ended up buying or leasing a, a Ford Mustang Mach-E. And one of the big things I knew about buying a non-Tesla was that the charging infrastructure is much weaker. And Mm -hmm. that's something we're going to see addressed in 2024, as a lot of these companies have now partnered with Tesla to be able to charge at Tesla's network. So that's going to happen in 2024. You'll be able to charge, I'll be able to charge my Ford at a a Tesla, uh, Rivian, GM, lots of companies have partnered. Mm -hmm. And so that is going to make it more palatable and more, I hope for many people to want to consider getting an EV because this infrastructure has been so poor. So I I have been looking at this and I've spent honestly so much time at non-Tesla EV stations in the last couple of weeks. I have a piece coming out soon that I you know can't believe I've made it to this podcast. I'm I should literally just have a tent set up at charging stations. <laughs> but like I it mean, sounds a not, little grim, Joanna. <laughs> I, I mean you'll have to come visit and we'll have to record from there and it's going to be it's going to be a mess because uh, it really is a mess at some of these stations and that's another really big roadblock. Mm-hmm. Obviously the Biden administration has been on top of this. They've pledged a lot of money to improve the infrastructure and create and build better charging stations. 
that is definitely something that is factoring in for people when they're buying right now. I mean, you can charge at home and that is what most people should do, but that's also expensive. That was Joanna Stern of The Wall Street Journal. To hear more of our conversation, check out our website, marketplacetech.org. Our senior producer, Daisy Palacios, and Daniel Shin produced this episode. Jesus Alvarado and Rosie Hughes also produce our show. Gary O'Keefe is our engineer. Kelly Silvera is our executive producer. I'm Lily Jamali, and that's Marketplace Tech. This is APM. From pre-K to high school, Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Education Department enriches student learning. Learn more at mpbonline.org. This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi and the MyBlue mobile app for people on the go. More at bcbsms.com. Ridge of High Pressure has a good hold on the weather, and we are going to gradually warm our weather up as we head through the weekend. We're not going to start to cool things down until the middle or later part of next week. In Olive Branch, lots of sunshine today. Our high this afternoon will be right around 65. Tonight, a mainly clear sky. We drop down into the lower 40s. In Meridian, sunny skies today are high this afternoon into the upper 60s. Later on tonight, a mainly clear sky. We drop off to right around 40 degrees. And in Gulfport, lots of sunshine today are high this afternoon near 75. Tonight, mainly clear upper 40s. I'm meteorologist Sally Russell. This is Think Radio.